Welcome to Rewilding Love. This season is with a couple on the brink of divorce. This is episode number one, introducing our brave couple, Alicia and Mateo, part one. I may have just made the biggest mistake of my life. I didn't get married to like have uncertainties. I always felt like we were really passionate and affectionate and loved each other beyond belief. I mean, we said I love you literally our first date. I love the girl. I know that there's episodes and moments that I'm not in love with. The innate harmony, love, well-being is actually already there. Hunky Dory, I, I can't believe I just said that. I think that. We're engaged. Like I'm going to get the girl that I want all the time. You are listening to Rewilding Love with me, Angus Ross. And me, Rohini Ross. Rewilding Love is a podcast about relationships. We believe that love never disappears completely in relationships. It can always be rewilded. Listen in as we guide a real couple back to their natural state of love. Relax and enjoy the show. So this is our first episode of our first podcast. And I came up with this idea um, little while back and I thought it would be really interesting to be able to do a recorded intensive with a couple. Angus and I do relationship intensives with couples and we really wanted to be able to share it with a wider group of people and we thought recording an intensive would be a great way to have um, something to share with people that would be able to help a large number of people through listening in and hearing how the sessions unfold. So we recorded uh, an intensive plus the follow-up sessions with the couple. And I remember when I first brought up the idea with you, Angus, that you were a little bit skeptical for a couple of reasons. Do you remember? Yeah, I thought it was a crazy idea. I thought that I'm going to have to learn how to use all this technology, which seemed a little bit of a stretch to me. Uh, And then the other component to all this that I was concerned about was how on earth would we find a couple who'd be willing to really uh, be vulnerable in that way? And, you know, obviously for for the podcast to have really any kind of value, there need to be a couple that are having a significant challenge. And somehow we're going to lead this lead them on this journey back to uh, a healthy relationship. So. I don't know. I just felt like it was unlikely we were going to find a couple that were going to be willing to put themselves out there in that way. So were you surprised? I was really surprised. If not, (laughs) I mean, I was pleasantly surprised and also quite shocked at how open and vulnerable uh, the people that we ended up working with really were able to be. Yeah, we are really grateful for their participation and we have changed their names, so the names that we're using here aren't their actual names, so there is some level of anonymity for them. And you managed to figure out the technology pretty well. Yeah, in fact, in a sense, it was actually probably, thinking back, the, the technology actually got the ball rolling because we, we, we started to have this conversation seriously around the time of Black Friday. So if we were going to buy the, or make that investment... <laughs> It had to be done really in my mind on the spur of the moment because there were all these wonderful bargains. So it's like, you know, let's pull the trigger on this because otherwise, you know, we're probably not going to have to get... We're not, this is not going to come round for another year. Black Friday being what it is, it, it, yeah, we got some incredible bargains and bought all the technology. And actually it, was, it wasn't as if we needed to have, you know, 
the, the, the services of some professional studio is pretty simple. But there are some things that, you know, there are some bells and whistles that you need. But, but you do love a bargain. I do love a bargain. <laughs> <laughs> So we're going to be sharing clips from our sessions with our couple, Alicia Mateo. But before we start there, we're just going to give you a little bit of background information. Right. Well, background information. So Alicia and Mateo are a couple in their 30s. They've been together for seven years and have been married a year. They were referred to us by Alicia's therapist, who I believe thought that you and I would be a good fit to work with them on this issue because that's what we do and um and two months earlier Matteo had served up divorce papers which obviously Alicia was was to say the very least devastated by and so ultimately that made the whole project and the possibility of the whole project very juicy for us because if we could get the turnaround that we were looking for that would be, I feel, quite a dramatic thing to share in a podcast. And I do want to hasten to add that I don't really think we went in with a strong agenda that we had to turn it around. Would you say, like, we are not attached to outcomes with couples. We, we really trust that they're going to um, come to a place of equanimity within themselves and then make the decisions from there. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was just, you know, trying to employ creative license for dramatic effect. <laughs> or maybe you do go in with an agenda. No, uh, you, you know, I mean, ultimately, yes, we'll probably have a much more effective product if, if, if things can turn around. So um, that would be nice. I can't say absolutely, categorically, I can say that, yeah, we're not going with, in with an agenda when we work with a couple. All we can do is point them in the right direction and hopefully wisdom will prevail and better decisions will, will be made. But yeah, I don't think it ever pays dividends to, to think that, you know, we can go in and fix this problem. And that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the end result that we're looking for. But um, yeah, I mean, in this sense, we'll have a product at the end of it that will be much better and much more interesting if we get the turnaround that, that we are anticipating, let us say. I know, but what if we don't? Well, People are listening now and they don't know. Oh, watch this space and see what happens. So even though Matteo had served the divorce papers to Alicia, he was ambivalent. He wasn't completely committed to the divorce. And throughout that two-month period, they stayed living together, although he did... Um, withhold romantic and sexual gestures because he didn't want to lead her on or give the wrong message um, or give her a sense of hope that he wasn't actually feeling. But I, I do want to say that even though he made that very bold and strong statement, there there was still some wiggle room for him. And for Alicia, because he had done that, she really felt like she was walking on eggshells the whole time because she was very committed to the marriage and she felt like any wrong move that she made would result in him saying, yeah, that's it. I'm, I'm following through on this. 
Yeah, I mean, I get the sense, as far as Matteo is concerned, that this is something that he thought this was kind of like an ace up his sleeve, a card he can play that will hopefully change things around to his way of seeing things or to his liking at least. And obviously, I, I guess that backfired. And I'm, I'm talking about serving up the divorce papers. Um, so I think it got to the point where um, Alicia started talking about this with a therapist that. Uh, when they came to this conclusion that they would try working with us, in his mind, I think it was a last resort, kind of like the last chance salon, as it were. I actually think it's the last chance saloon. Uh, well, I beg to differ. I think it's salon. I think it's saloon. Salon. It doesn't sound right. Saloon. <laughs> well, <laughs> the last chance saloon. We'll have to look it up. All right. Okay, well, I will reserve judgment until you get the facts straight on that one. Anyway, moving swiftly on, we thought that we would share this journey uh, with um, Alicia and Matteo that uh, would hopefully end up being something. Ultimately, they might be able to resolve their differences and find their way back to what we would hope would be their natural rewilded state. Um, we are looking in the direction to hopefully uh, facilitate the process of rewilding this relationship back into its loving natural state. Um, and that's ultimately you know, what we want to do. And hopefully the byproduct of that is that uh, they will find that place and, and we'll walk off into the sunset and everyone will be happy, even the listeners of this podcast. <laughs> but we will see. But yeah, we're not attached to outcomes. And when we say how love can be rewilded in, re in relationships, we're, we're using the metaphor of rewilding that is oftentimes used to refer to nature, where you introduce a keystone species like the wolves in Yellowstone Park where they had been absent for years and then you reintroduce them and the whole environment of the relationship, I mean, the whole environment changes as a result of the wolves being introduced. So for us, we're using that rewilding metaphor to demonstrate how even when it feels like love is lost and can't come back, that it can actually be reintroduced and rewilded. Yes, I think it may be worthwhile to actually elaborate on this um, rewilding metaphor a little bit further because... What actually happened and why we were inspired by this particular um, experiment that took place in Yellowstone Park was that what happened when a pack of wolves were reintroduced into the park vicinity, the deer that were once rampant and were really decimating all the foliage and really having a dramatic effect on the whole environment, when the wolves were reintroduced and the deer were naturally culled and far less inclined to hang out in the open, what happened is a whole bunch of other creatures and other, you know, flora and fauna came back into into prominence because they were uh, not impacted by the deer. So what was so amazing about this whole experiment is it actually changed the course of the river. But I don't want to go too deep into the ins and outs of it. But what I would say was that, uh, or what I will say, as the case may be, is that um, the wolves, what they ended up doing was restoring the park back into its pristine state. So ultimately, we found the park found its way back into a, into a position of balance and harmony. 
And that's why we love the idea of using this as a metaphor, because that's kind of where we're really trying to help our couples get to in terms of their relationship. We're trying to help them restore the relationship back into its pristine state, a state of natural balance and natural harmony. And I think it's really important to note what you're saying is so key because it's a restoration process, which means that the innate harmony, love, well-being is actually already there and that we can support them with bringing that back to life. And, and I love that story about the wolves in Yellowstone Park. And so we can include a link to the video by George Mambiat that explains in more detail what happened there. Okay, well, let's start hearing from Alicia and Matteo now. First off, we're going to hear from Alicia, and she's going to share about how she and Matteo met. So we met when we were 18 uh-huh. at Auburn University. Yeah. Um, we lived in the same dorm, but we weren't really friends. We were friends with a mutual friend of ours. Right. Um, we, uh, the, after the first semester, after finals, we remembered this like once we started dating, we ended up sitting next to each other on the shuttle that takes us from the school to the Atlanta airport, which is about an hour and a half, two hour drive. And um, we had like this whole conversation and we were enjoying each other for sure. And then we got to the security line and there was somebody behind us that played tennis for Auburn that like literally kept telling us that we were dating and we're like, no, we're not, like we're really not. Um, and then we, you know, he walked me to my gate, we gave each other a hug and kiss goodbye and that was it. And then, mm-hmm. Didn't really ever see him really after that. I mean, we lived in the same dorm, so I'd see him, but never really an interaction. And then um, fast forward about four years later, I would mm-hmm. say, he came to Miami to visit, visit that mutual friend of ours. And I'm born and raised in Miami. Mm-hmm. So um, so I'd gone over to the house where he was visiting for spring break, and I had gone and gone to hang out. And when I first saw him, I was just like, whoa. Like, he had mm-hmm. gotten taller mm-hmm. and, you know, just became yeah. a little bit more of a man. And I always thought he was really cute at Auburn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so anyway, I was just like, whoa, I was like, hello. (laughs) And that week we ended up boyfriend and girlfriend and, Mm -hmm. um, now we're here. And so that was the long distance part. So you were in Miami and he was in California? Yeah. For about a year and some, um, because he had to finish school. I was already done. Right. And so I had started, um, I actually hadn't started working yet because I was going to go to law school. So I was studying for the LSATs while writing, um, I was a ghost. I was ghost writing a book um, of a family friend of ours. Oh wow! Yeah, that was involved with the cocaine cowboys and the kingpins. Oh wow! And so I was writing his story, um, which was really fascinating. And so I was doing that at the time. I'd say that's quite a romantic story for how they got together along the way. Yeah, so far so good. Not. Uh... Anything terribly wrong with that picture as far as I can see. Is there anything wrong with that picture? (laughs) No, that's what I just said. You said there's not much terribly wrong. Oh, no, there's nothing wrong. And um, Alicia did shift gears and she decided not to pursue law school. And so she's going to share a little bit more about that here. And so I kind of just like reevaluated what I was going to do and started working in Miami while he was in school um, and then came out. California over Christmas and New Year's um, before we hit like a year. Yeah, so I came out for Christmas and stuff and 
I don't know. We, I, I always felt like we were really passionate and affectionate and loved each other beyond mm-hmm. belief. I mean, yeah. we said, I love you, literally our first date. Yeah. So yeah. Um, he had asked me if I would ever move out. And I was just like, yeah. And at this point, I'm like, what, 23? So I really don't know anything that yeah. I'm doing. But I took a leap of faith. Yeah. And so you moved out. And did you live in together May. at that point? Yeah. Yeah. So, and, so that was in May... Yes, so after Christmas happened, um, I'm sorry, in May he graduated, and mm-hmm. then I came out in August. Got it. Yeah, and we immediately, he, I mean, that's what he wanted. He wanted us to move in together and start our lives together. And I, I had said first, I was like, well, I can get my own place, mm-hmm. and we can figure this out. We don't yeah. have to rush anything. Yeah. He was like, nope, that's what I want. I want us to live together. I want us to be together. I want us to go through the struggle. What he said was go through the struggles of life together and figure things out. Okay. And I was like, okay. So I would say it sounds like things are still going really well on this journey together. Yes, hunky-dory. And now we'll hear that, you know, they did have some financial difficulties when Alicia moved out to California to be with Mateo. So she'll share a little bit about that here. Hunky-dory. I, I can't believe I just said that. I think, is that a David Bowie song? I don't even know where that comes from. We're going to have to look up that term, too. I guess we will. Yes. Can have some uh, some footnotes at the end of this podcast. Yeah, they're called show notes. Show notes. All right, back to Alicia. So when we first started out, um, he ended up losing his job, and I was a temp because I really didn't have any um, experience out here. Right. And I just worked really hard, and so for the first three years of me living out here, every expense was on me. I took care of the household. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't have like a dining room table for nine months in our first mm-hmm. apartment. Mm-hmm. We ate on our coffee table mm-hmm. and we didn't have a couch for the first month. Right. All the things that my parents didn't want me to experience. Yeah. But I was happy to do it because yeah. I was happy to be with him. Yeah. And trust me, we lived in a shithole that was gross. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, as he got on his feet um, about two years ago, two, three years ago, uh, it started out slow. I didn't. He didn't. He wasn't fifty-fifty. I, it was more like eighty-twenty in a sense, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just so that he can feel comfortable on on his feet. And I think a little bit of that definitely put detriment on our relationship because I definitely used it against him when I would get angry, and he would use it against himself and me. So, based on what Alicia is sharing now, we can really hear where some of the. Uh, stress and tension is starting to show up for her in the relationship. Yes, possibly a few little cracks in the masonry. I just feel like I'm so underappreciated. Mm. Yeah, I hear that. Like, I go grocery shopping. He gets mad at me if I leave for a work trip and I haven't gone and filled up the groceries, like, all the groceries, because then he'll call me and be like, well, you've abandoned me. And, oh, I eat just chocolate. And I was like, I didn't have a chance to go, but you're an adult. Like, you can go. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, I remember I was on the plane, this is a year ago, and our dog ran out of food. And he, like, was, and I have Wi-Fi on the plane, so I was able to text. Mm-hmm. And um, he, like, held that against me. And, like, and I was like, you're on the ground. Like, you can drive 15 minutes, 10 minutes to go to PetSmart and buy food. But no, I had to Amazon Prime now it to him because, God forbid, you know, mm-hmm. he had to do something. It's like, I yeah. take care of everything. Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't mind taking care of everything. I love doing that. And I love, I feel like that's what I'm supposed to do as a wife. Mm-hmm. And I enjoy it. 
even my friends say like god you make me think that i have to be a better wife to my mm -hmm. husband like you do everything and it's like i gladly and passionately do that but it's like i never get a thank you whereas he'll unload the dishwasher take out the trash like once in a blue moon and like thank you so much feeling unappreciated is definitely one of the key issues that Alicia brings up as one of her concerns about the relationship. And I would say that that's a very common theme that often comes up in the couples that we work with, where one or both parties feel that the other person uh, isn't demonstrating appreciation in a way that they want, they want or that they can actually receive it. And so that was something that was definitely on her mind as she came into this intensive. Yeah, and I, I guess another way of, of saying that is is that people can feel disrespected, unappreciated, disrespected. Really, kind of amount to the same thing. What What do you mean that? Um, what did you say? Respect. Disrespect. Disrespect. Yes, disrespect and feeling unappreciated. I feel like they're they're significant bedfellows. I feel like um, being unappreciated. Uh, has this uh, standard or expectation to be treated in a in a way that is respectful, based on my standards and expectations. Okay, I guess I never would have sort of lumped them together the way that you just did, but I, I can see how they're related, and I can see how they both are a reflection of the individual's expectations not being met. And the other thing that Alicia is really having a hard time with is the uncertainty in the relationship. The threat of divorce um, has been very painful and difficult for her to navigate, not knowing what's happening. And that's something that's really been on her mind as well. The constant uncertainty and the constant, um, not, I guess not so much accusatory, but like little things that are said to me that are like throw me out of like, like it's a trigger that throw me out of spiral are things like saying uncertainty. And I'm like, I didn't get married to like have uncertainties. Right, right. Like right. it's not meant to be, it's not this competition. Right. And I feel like he's kind of made it a competition with mm -hmm, me in, mm -hmm, in several mm -hmm. aspects um, to the point that now I've, I've said stuff like, you're not going to win this one or like, because mm. it's being pushed to that right, regard. Right, right, right. And so I'm having those explosions because I'm like, I'm literally overthinking every last thing and yeah. it's driving me mad. Yeah. And yeah. then I feel like I'm walking on eggshells because right. of that. So like, I feel like I'm a prisoner. Here, not only are the cracks showing up, but you can also recognize that Alicia does have some recognition of her volatility uh, in the relationship. But based on how she sees the circumstances that she's in, she feels quite justified that that's a reaction that would be normal to have in these circumstances, given the duress that she feels she's under. Yeah. And we'll hear more about this along the way, but this next tiny clip just also shows how she sees her volatility not just as a negative, angry outburst, but she, she really embraces her passionate nature and so she kind of sees it as all wrapped together and and not really a bad thing at least that i know if he fell in love with me for who i am because i was this crazy loud passionate person well i think that gives us some great background information from alicia what do you think should we listen to mateo now 
Yeah, let's see what Matteo has to say. There was volatility from day one. From day one. And the initial volatility that took place was her family. Um, you know, I remember the first day that like her and I reconnected. We were in Miami. She came over to my buddy's house and, you know, we're there sitting down, laughing, smiling. And uh, the first phone call she picked up was her dad and he was just screaming. And she was just pretending like everything was, you know, cheery and whatever. And she's like, yeah, not knowing that everyone could hear him yelling on the phone at the table to every like, right? It's the moment where the speaker is a lot louder than what the person thinks and they're just pretending like, yeah, sure. Yeah, dad, I'll be home soon, right? And he's just yelling. Why is course. he yelling? Uh, God knows why. Um, I don't know. I don't know why. I think it was just wanted her home for some reason, although it was probably not even like 6 p.m., whatever. Um, but so then we, um, so I went back, that happened on a spring break and, and I remember leaving and being like, hey, you know, I want to, I want this to work out and I want to commit to you. And, and, uh, so we did the long distance, um, until the rest of the year. And then I came for the summer and I mean, the summer was, uh, was one big ball of emotions. Um, she, I mean, there was issues with my buddy who I was staying with that she, I'm not going to put a hundred percent blame on her, but kind of cultivated that issue. Um, and uh, there was also an issue with her and her family to the point where she moved out in the middle of the summer. Um, there was always a lot of turbulence. Mm -hmm. um, and that was just the first, I don't even know, like eight months maybe, right? Okay. And then I left for the summer. Um, so upon all that, her, you know, uh, anger with the family going through whatever it may have been, um, there was also... You know, me always, in, I mean, she can tell you, her family can tell you, I've always been pushing her towards family, family, mm -hmm. family, family, mm -hmm. because I didn't grow up with much family here. All mm -hmm. my family is in Argentina. Um, so, so we got in a lot of fights because of that, because, you know, I would always try to present a different perspective into what was going on. And that's when the, f the first time I ever heard, you're never on my side. You don't, you know, you, you think I'm lying, right? That. Um, so then we left that, that occurred many times, um, throughout that summer. There was a lot of good times too. So then I go back for, for school and we're living a, a long distance relationship. At that point, she had moved in with her grandparents. And again, you know, every day that we're talking on the phone, there's either drama about, um, you know, her, not directly her grandparents, because that was in the beginning. Um, she was like, oh, my grandparents are so bad. But then, um, I kind of pushed her again towards family. So she ended up moving in with her grandparents and then, you know, there's a whole issue with her parents and their siblings mm -hmm. that the fact that she went to go live with the grandparents, grandparents, I don't know their family dynamic, but it's rocky. Mm -hmm. And, um, so there was always that, but there was always more than that because it was always me just trying to present a different point of view of how one can handle, you know, the situation that they're in and still be okay. So I know this was intake and uh, this is the early part of the whole experience, but um, it's easy to see for me how all of, the f all of the story that I'm hearing from Matteo now is kind of 
I get a sense looking through the lens of a very low mood. So although at one point, almost as a very brief aside, he says that there were good times too, he's very much focusing on everything that he feels is wrong or was wrong with the relationship at that particular time. And, uh, you know, I can only imagine that, you know, they didn't get together <laughs> based on all their differences. They got together because there was a, a fundamental experience of love that they were engaged in. Um, so it's interesting just to hear this whole laundry list of woes about how the relationship looked like, looked, you know, from what he's saying, it appears doomed from the start. Yeah, it's a very different telling of the backstory from his perspective and her perspective. And you're right. I think probably 99% of what he's saying is focused on the volatility, the conflict. And there's like 1% where he said, yeah, we had some good times. And also, I think what comes forward in this uh, piece is where he... Uh, sees himself as having the voice of reason. She's going through all of these troubles, this conflict, this these difficulties, and he's the one that's helping her to stay on track. That's that's part of what I'm hearing. Yeah, no, very much so. But he he has, as it seems blatantly obvious to me, that he's got into this habitual low mood about what the relation look, relationship looks like, and and those are the optics through which he's seeing it. Yeah, well, let's hear a bit more from him, shall we? I'm moving on from all this stuff, right? So, right, yeah, 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 no, absolutely. So I'm really trying. I, I love the girl. I know that there's episodes and moments that I'm not in love with, but I'm thinking, okay, well, there's an issue with her family. Once we cross that border, right, there won't that won't exist any longer. Um, and then it came to the long-distance relationship where, again, a lot of our communication was... Um, what I like to call bitching, mm-hmm. just complaining. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was that. So I still saw the person that I loved and just realized that this is a piece that I have to, you know, take on until, you know, she figures some shit out, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then it just, uh, you know, we had the long distance relationship and she ended up moving over once I graduated from school. Um, then the issue became, you know, I don't have any friends here. You're settled here. Um, which is is legitimate. Right? Mm-hmm. She didn't have any friends, mm-hmm. um, which is true. Um, so I mean, I, again, you know, that justified her actions. You know, in between those moments where it was full on blowouts, whatever it may be, you're spending too much time with your friends, not me. Um, can't you know? And saying horrendous things about my friends at the moment, which I've later come to terms with um, later on earlier this year, or uh, later last year rather since we're in the new year. Um, so there was those blow-ups, but I justified it with, hey, she just moved out here. Mm-hmm. You know, she doesn't have any friends. She's not comfortable, blah, blah, blah. Well, she got comfortable. She has friends. She has more friends than I do. All my friends moved away. I, I literally come home, and it's me, her, and I have one other friend that lives in town. Everyone else gone, mm-hmm. right? So I've got no one. So I don't hold that against. I'm not acting out or lashing mm-hmm. out because I only have one friend available. I'm not doing that. Um, so then, you know, now the excuse for all the outbursts was, well, who am I, this girl who moved out from Florida for her boyfriend and, you know, without a ring on her finger, right? So then the pressure for the marriage started coming and, 
and she leaned on that excuse heavily for the way you know she was speaking to me I'm not saying that I was a saint in the relationship right mm-hmm. but um, there was a lot that was justified on her end because we weren't engaged okay mm-hmm. so then um, right there's obviously situations in between um, but then we get engaged okay perfect um, I'm thinking okay we're engaged like I'm gonna get the girl that I want all the time I mean I, I really don't trust the narrative because it seems like he must it feels like he must have spent a long time um, in probably as I've said before in this sort of perpetual low mood and in that state um, he's just allow himself to marinate in this very dark and negative looking narrative um, that is painting this very bleak and dim picture of their relationship but then it's juxtaposed with this odd little snippet where he'll say yeah you know and I really love the girl I really want this to work or words to that effect so um, it just, I just mistrust just the level of how elaborate the narrative is does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, I hear what you're saying. And, and I love that line that he said at the very beginning. I love the girl, but I don't like the episodes, however he said it. And and I think that he really is is demonstrating, you know, in, in his way that he does love Alicia and he does want to be with her, but he finds the blowouts really problematic. That's what I'm hearing and what he's saying. He finds them very difficult and from what he's sharing, he did all of these things that he thought were the right things to do to prevent the blowouts. Like he thought if he gave her what she was asking for, then that would stop. And and right at the very end, you know, those famous last words like, great, now I'm going to get the girl that I've always, you know, wanted, the girl of my dreams. And it's just uh, not a very realistic perspective. And I think one of the lessons for all couples, ourselves included, Angus, is to realize that we're not responsible for the other person's behavior. It's not on us to change them or fix them. And it's not going to be through our doing that we can make them different. Yeah, there's there's quite a heavy victim mindset as far as, far as Mateo is concerned, which, um, which, which I notice. I don't know, you know what you think about that. Well, I know what you mean, but I, when you say it that way, it feels like you're being a little bit hard on him. Well, maybe so. I, you know, I noticed that with it, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I can see when I get into a victim mindset, it just, it just feels a little bit, it, it just feels a little bit amplified to me at this point. Yeah. And he's, he's definitely feeling victimized by her. I would agree. Then again, it was, uh, issues with my friends or family um, for some reason Um, and it's not just my friends or family I mean she'll tell you or she won't tell you but she's lost her two best friends over the course of two years due to her um, the way that she spoke to them Mm. right Um, but I'm not I'm not gonna get into that because that's not my story to tell but um, what what afterwards we had gotten engaged and and now you know, the story changed where it's like, oh, I'm just a stupid girl who got engaged to this guy that can leave her at any moment. Okay, well, God, like, I just, 
I just got engaged because I didn't want to go through all this stuff. Um, an engagement to me is a promise to marry. Like we're getting married, right? We're telling our families everything. But she took it as, oh, this is just another way for you to postpone like the inevitable. I'm just like, oh my God, like what's going on here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so then uh, obviously there was blowouts there and things were said that, you know, um, um, one can't just easily forget, you know? And, uh, and so, you know, at that moment, I, I really didn't even want to get married, really. Um, we're engaged and I'm like, dude, this is never going to end. And then um, it became like this guilt trip and, oh, you know, it's because we're not married, blah, blah, blah. It became this guilt trip where I was like, God, I, I really just have to figure out if I'm ever going to get this girl of my dreams that I know that she can be and she has glimpses of, um, you know, so I, I got to follow this through. I wasn't going to pull the plug, even though like deep down inside, I was like, dude, this is a fucking lost cause. I said that. Sorry for cursing. No, don't worry. Um, so I... Uh, we got married, and um, and the, sh- the thing just never ended. It was just always this turbulent relationship, and it was one thing or another, whether now it was the pressure of having babies or, I mean, just, you just name it, um, you know, and uh, that's what I'm thinking. Like, I may have just made the biggest mistake of my life. Like, I just married this girl. I let her, my family, her family on, our friends, everyone. I mean, I listened to that and um, I just don't know if I, I really trust the sentiment because, um, you know, maybe, maybe he thinks all of the above and that he may have made the biggest mistake of his life. But um, I guess time will tell. I just feel like, you know, as I've said before, and I don't want to sound like a scratch record, this just seems like a very low, low mood talking. And um, And if that's the case, yeah, we've got... We've got uh, plenty of opportunity to to see where this can go in a more positive vein, but you know, maybe maybe that maybe who knows if I'm going to take it at face value, uh, all that he's saying looks like the relationship is doomed, but I just I don't know I just don't trust it. Well, with the way that he's describing things, it really is clear that from his perspective, Alicia is the one with the problem. And he's the reasonable one just trying to navigate being with this irrational woman. And if she could only see how reasonable he is, then things would be fine and there wouldn't be any of this conflict or volatility or blow-ups. And and again, as you're saying, you're skeptical of the narrative that he's giving. I think that it's it's clearly real and true for him and it's not the full picture. Yeah, not the full picture. And uh, and we'll see where this leads. Um, and I'm very curious about it at this point. Thank you so much for listening to Rewilding Love. If you enjoyed this podcast, please let us know by subscribing on iTunes. And we would love for you to leave a review there iTunes reviews will steer people to this podcast who need help with their relationships. If you would like to learn more about our work and our online rewilding community, please visit our website, therewilders.org. Thanks for listening. Join us next week.